You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Um, I'm, I'm going to do something a little bit different here. This dear young lady on the second row there, the gray sweater, that's feeling embarrassed right now a little bit. As I was looking at you, I felt like the Lord, sometimes the Lord speaks to me for people, for encouragement, if you don't understand quite what this is. But um, I felt like the thing the Lord was showing me that other people had um, stepped into a place you were supposed to be in through their ambition and manipulation and that you shouldn't worry about it because what the Lord has for you to do is going to work out. Does that make any sense to you? That does make sense to you? Well, then people should give me a round of applause. I was telling her how many children she was going to have. <laughs> not really. Not really. I, I'm sorry. Oh, you are. Well, I'm better than I knew. But I don't usually say stuff about that. Actually, when, when you, let's say it's prophetic. Sometimes it's pathetic. But let's say... You got like a 50-50 chance of getting the uh, male or female right about a child, you know. So um, I don't, even when I've said something, I I was wrong. How can, (laughs) I mean, you got a 50-50 chance to get that right. But anyway, moving right along. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Okay. I want to talk this morning about transformational relationships. And um, one of the things I've been working on personally and writing a little bit about, I've called the carpenter and the fisherman. And um, a core dynamic of church life is this. Just as Jesus, the carpenter from Galilee, was able to transform Simon from a simple fisherman into Peter, the first great apostle, God still uses relationships to encourage us, to elevate us, to impart to us, to reveal to us who we really are. How many of you can hear this? So when I think about Jesus and as he first begun, you find this in Mark chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 2 and 3. On the Sabbath, Jesus went to teach in a synagogue. Everyone who heard his teaching was overwhelmed with astonishment. They said among themselves, What incredible wisdom has been given to him? Where did he receive such profound insights? And what mighty miracles flow through his hands? Isn't this Mary's son, the carpenter, the brother of Jacob, Joseph, Judah, and Simon? And don't his sisters all live here in Nazareth? And they took offense at him.
When the carpenter from Nazareth emerged from obscurity onto Israel's spiritual landscape, they'd never seen anything like him before. His miracles, his wisdom, the authority with which he spoke captured the attention of the entire nation. It shook the whole nation. It caused confusion, especially among those who knew him as someone other than this emerging, and that point, what would you call him? Miracle worker, wise man. And the people that knew him identified him as the carpenter. And so when he broke out of that mold, they were offended. Um, In his itinerant method, at one point, he arrives on the shores of the Sea of Galilee near Bethsaida, a little fishing village, and he's pursued by hundreds, maybe thousands of people. Some came from curiosity to see what he would do. Others were hungry to hear what he had to say. And then there were those who were desperate for a miracle. All kind of people followed him. And so as Jesus approached the shore, he saw these two boats anchored nearby. There were fishermen. They were washing their nets. Their owners, exhausted, finished fishing after a futile night of dragging bare nets into empty boats. Suddenly, Jesus steps into Simon Barjona's boat, probably uninvited. I would like Jesus to do more of that. Is there part of him that will step into your life even if you don't invite him? Gosh, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. But he does. Unexpectedly, he startles Simon Peter. And after Jesus spoke to the crowd, he said, push away a little from the land. And that's what Simon did. So, well, actually, he hadn't talked. He pushed away from the land. He sat down and began to teach. The Bible tells us when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered him and said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. How happy was Peter to go fishing again that morning. Then he said, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, here's one thing you have to see here. Jesus told him to let down his nets, plural. But Peter responded, when you read the text, he only let down one net. Now, he was accommodating to Jesus, even respectful. But he could be proud and he could be stubborn. Don't you like that about Peter, that he was... Had so many problems. Anybody like that? About the great apostle. Proud, stubborn. Now I do know this too. Um, When a carpenter tries to tell a fisherman how to fish, it probably doesn't go over too well. Could you imagine? But Peter did sort of what he said. Um, Here's this idea. Maybe... Simon felt this way at this particular point. What can this carpenter teach me about fishing? What can this carpenter teach me? Say that with me. What can this carpenter teach me about fishing? 
maybe Peter thought nothing. Exactly what we caught last night, nothing. Now he wants us to drag our nets back out again in this heat. How many of you think a little bit differently than you actually say? I think maybe Peter was going through this. But really, what business does a carpenter have in telling a fisherman how to fish? Well, not much usually, unless that carpenter is Jesus of Nazareth. And that fisherman's true life calling, one he doesn't know he has, is to be a fisher of men. And that carpenter was the world's best ever at transforming lives, mobilizing people, and changing the world. Many of us are like Simon that morning. Listen to me. Many of us are like Simon that morning. We're unaware of how to become more than we are, how to become all God created us to be. Well, Simon's life was about to change forever. And because Jesus' influence in his life, Simon would touch the world in an amazing way whose influence and voice last even to this morning. Well, then there's the rest of the story. Peter cast his net, and he catches more fish than he can get in his boat. He invites his partners to come, and they had such a miraculous catch that Peter said, Depart from me, because I'm a wicked man. Isn't that remarkable? I like that about Jesus. Jesus just sort of jumped into man's life. Probably works better when you invite him, but um, I pray that Jesus will jump into your life. There are times I think God will do things we don't think he'll do. Well, the Holy Ghost is a gentleman. Have you heard that? Well, yeah, I guess. But sometimes I think God has made up his mind. He's going to help somebody. He's going to help somebody. Well, there are a couple of ways of being transformed, probably more than this. The Bible talks about the renewing of your mind, changing what you think. But I think it's also about who you spend time with. And one of the, uh, let me just say this. I may as well get in trouble now. I love the church. I love the church. I grew up in the church and I didn't like it. Jesus got a hold of me in high school in 1968. I floundered. Whoever floundered after they met Jesus? Any, well, flounders, fishermen, this is all going together, right? How many of you may have considered, if you were honest, that you actually really sort of fell away after your first encounter with the Lord? Anybody willing to raise their hand with me? Because we... This is a relational thing we've been invited into. And sometimes it's simply not easy. Sometimes it simply does not make sense. But here is what really matters. Who you spend time with makes a difference. Do not be deceived, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-three: Bad company corrupts good morals. And here's an... 
positive part of that in Acts 4.13. I'm going to read this from the Passion Translation, although it reads pretty much like the New King James, which is what I usually like to read. But in the Passion Translation, this is talking about Peter and John. It said, the council members were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who had never had religious training or education. Then they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. So there's a truth about being changed through, being transformed through the relationships that you have with people. And I was, I was telling Donna this morning, um, one of the problems people have is they're, they can be too proud to receive from someone else. They, they think they've got it covered. I've been there before. We don't, you know, we're going to find this out and we're going to see this in a minute. Many of us don't, do not know yet who we are. Can you hear that? We don't know yet. I want to talk about that a little bit through the life of Peter and his relationship with Jesus. The name Peter appears in the Gospels, it's debatable, 189 or 191 times. That's a lot, isn't it? 191 times through the Gospels, through the book of Acts, of course in First and Second Peter, a couple other places. But in the four Gospels, Jesus normally addressed him as Simon or Simon Barjona. When you read the text, you discover Jesus only called him Peter five times. Of those 191 times. Now, of course, I can't say that that's all he did in real life, but as far as the Bible and the New Testament is concerned, Jesus only called or referred to Simon Barjona five times as Peter. Why? Well, one of the things that we all need to recognize is. Part of the way we're transformed is through revelation. Or what do I mean revelation? By God opening up the Bible to us. I don't mean weird revelation, but the Bible is it's just such an amazing book. It's a remarkable book. Uh, what I'm going to talk a little bit about this morning, this whole relationship between Jesus and Simon Barjona, how many times he called him Peter, was the Lord had shown me a number of years ago, that every time Jesus used the name Peter in the text, he was revealing Simon's true identity to him. Can you hear that? Each time Jesus was telling Simon Barjona who Simon really was. Now, how did I come to that conclusion? Well, one morning in my devotions, the Lord gave me this idea. I felt like he said, why don't you look up in a concordance that shows the red letters how many times Peter shows up in red. And so I did, and it was three times. Then I saw another time 
Jesus instructed an angel, you remember, go tell my disciples and Peter. We'll see that in a minute. That would have been the fourth time. But the first time he didn't use or the text didn't record it as Peter, recorded it as Cephas, which is the Aramaic name, which when translated from Aramaic into Greek in English comes out Peter. Everybody with me? So when Jesus said Cephas, it was the same thing. Now, let's do it. Look at the first time. This is John 1, 40 and 42. Now, I believe you have an overhead. Is it up there? Good. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, read this with me. You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated to Stone or Peter. Here's what we see there. Two different things Jesus is saying. He says, you are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be Cephas. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus is saying, this is who you are. This is who you shall be. You are and you shall be. Now, as I was thinking through this, uh, there's the person you think you are. You with me? There's a person you think you are. There's a person you are. And there's a person you're called to be. How many of you can follow me there? There's a person you are. Let's call that your imagination. I mean, you know, there's a person you are. Let's call that your behavior. Everybody with me so far? Then there's the person you're called to be. You're calling. And I want to say this about who you're called to be. That's who you really are. Now, that could be confusing, but it's okay. So what was Jesus doing when he gave Simon the name Peter? Here's what I believe. Jesus was saying to Simon, I know who you are, but you don't know who you are. I know who you are, but you don't know who you are. Jesus was saying to him, you are, but you shall be. You with me so far? That was the first time. So when Jesus has introduced himself to Simon Peter... He actually begins to speak identity and vision into this man's life because Jesus knew who he was. And let me say this. The battle over our identity is the battle over our destiny. Let me say that. The battle over our, de- our identity is the battle over our destiny. If you don't know who you are, And I'm not going to make this definitive because I can already disprove this from something else in the scripture. I'm saying this. If you don't know who you are, you are less likely to fulfill your destiny. Now, less likely. I could say you won't, but then Jesus told John the Baptist he was Elijah. Or he said he was Elijah. How many of you remember that? Jesus actually identified John the Baptist as the Elijah who was to come, right? But when they asked 
John the Baptist, if he was Elijah, what did he say? No. What does that mean? That John the Baptist could still fulfill his calling even though he didn't fully know who he was. But he had such a strong life force, if you want to call it. There was something so rich and strong within his being that he simply got there anyway. But most of us need more than that. Can you hear that? Most of us uh, aren't living like John the Baptist did. So that was the first time. The second time we find in Matthew 16, 13 through 19. Everybody's tracking with me so far? Anybody confused yet? Okay, good. Just me. (laughs) Matthew 16, 13 through 19. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, what did he ask them? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who answers? Simon Peter answered, and this is what he said, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. Jesus answered, now pay attention to the name shifts here. Blessed are you who? Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Verse 18, and I, what's that third word? Also, and I also say to you, you said to me who I am, I also say to you who you are. I also say that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Let me make this bold proclamation. You aren't able to discover who you are until you know who Jesus is. Listen to me. When Peter, up until this point, Jesus was reaching into Simon's life. The first time he met him, he said, "Uh, you are Simon Barjona, you shall be called Peter. He's reaching into his life. He's starting a relational process with this man. The second time, here's what's going on. Peter, let's go back. Simon Barjona by revelation says, he understands. God showed him about Jesus. You are the Christ. Who am I? Jesus says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, and you are Peter. What was going on? When Simon could tell Jesus who he was, Jesus could tell Simon who he was. This is important. Until you can tell Jesus who he is, he can't fully reveal to you all that you are. Now, is he just the carpenter? Is he just the prophet? Or he is the one the scriptures foretold, the Messiah, 
the Savior, the Lord of all. Peter going so far as to say, you are the son of the living God. Now, there's arguments over this whole idea of you are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, the scripture says. Catholics, and I'm not here to argue this, this is historic. Catholics basically say the church is built on Peter. They're talking about apostolic succession. I don't agree with that. I think that's a flawed concept. Protestants basically believe that the church is built on the revelation of who Jesus is, the Christ. How many of you are with me? I think there's more to it than that, and you've got to hear me out. The Bible there says the gates of Hades shall not prevail against whoever qualified there in verse 18. Are you listening? I say to you that you're Peter, on this rock I'll build my church. What was that rock? Here's what that rock was. Here's what that rock is. That rock is knowing who Jesus is and knowing who you are. Knowing who he is, but knowing who he has told you you are. Knowing who is who he has spoken into your life through your relationship with him. Now, why would I say that? Well, the implication is, if you qualify the gates of Hades, well, what are the gates of Hades? Let's say, say it this way. The gates of Hades are evil influences or evil influencers. How many people do you know and have you actually experienced yourself that you have become Someone other than you know you should be because you've listened, been influenced, or because you don't know who you are, you've gone down the wrong road. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The gates of Hades, the evil influences, sickness, um, poverty, confusion, all the kinds of things that God does not expressly want us to experience People have experienced, and many of it because they don't know who they are. They believe in Jesus, really, the right way. But when you know you who you are, you can't be forced into being someone else. Listen to me. When you know. I, uh... I think it's important. Oh, who are we? First Peter 2, 4, and 5, it says, Coming to Jesus as to a living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's the living stone, and we come from him. We're living stones. Listen, you are a rock. You're a chip off the old block. Come on, that was better than that response. For goodness sake. You're going you're gonna to force me into bringing out some of my best stuff here if you're not careful. I'll tell you, though, if I don't earn a hallelujah, I just assume you keep it. That's legit, right? The fourth time. I'm sorry. The third time. 
Luke 22, 31 through 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Now this is during the Passion Week. Jesus dies within 24 hours. Betrayed and beaten within 24 hours. And so the Lord says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not what? Fail. Fail. He didn't even say, I pray that you wouldn't fail. He said, I pray that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, another way that's been translated, when you have, what is it? I'll get to it in a minute. Converted. When you've returned to me, or when you've been converted, strengthen your brethren. Maybe conversion is more than just an initial knowledge of Jesus. How many of you might think that's true? Peter disagreed with Jesus. Let me, let me say, ladies and gentlemen, that's a bad proposition. Jesus says, I prayed for you that the faith should not fail, and when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. How do you, what in the world would Peter be thinking? What are you talking about, me? He says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. You don't know who you're talking to here, Jesus. Then he said, Jesus said, I tell you who? Peter, I tell you who? Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times that you know me. That began the worst day of his life. That was the day he would deny the Lord. That was the day Simon would question everything about himself, everything about Jesus, about his devotion to Jesus. That day, when he denied the Lord, the Bible says with oaths and curses, hours after he swore he would go to prison or die for Jesus. But listen, even in the midst of the warning of Simon's impending failure, what did Jesus call him? Peter. What was he saying? Even in the context of his worst day, his biggest failure, what would Jesus be doing by calling him Peter there for the third time? He was saying, Peter, never forget who I told you you are. Never forget. Here's the problem. Peter's failure was necessary. Well, wait a minute. You mean the Lord did that to him? No, he did it to himself. It was necessary to put to death a part of Peter's character that would only keep him from fulfilling his calling. The wheat was separated from the shaft. That's what Jesus said. Satan has asked permission to sift you as wheat. He went into that season as Simon, but he came out of that season later as Peter. 
there was, there was a humility. There was something imprinted in his life through that process of failure. When you return to me, when you're converted, what should you be doing? Strengthening your brethren. Strengthening your brethren. Do you know that should be our, one of our primary objectives is to strengthen those people around us. Encourage people. When Simon is sifted and fully returns to Jesus, guess what was left? Only Peter. And let me ask you this question. Have you ever been sifted? Have you ever been sifted? Have you ever been through something, even as a believer, maybe even before, you didn't understand? You didn't like? You couldn't control? You know, that's what makes me mad at the Lord sometimes. Can I be this frank? He will not do the things I want him to do sometimes. How did, you know, come on, somebody. Anybody else out there get mad sometimes because he won't obey? But when you were sifted, what did you learn about yourself? Did you come out of it wounded or did you come out of it wiser? Were you converted or were you cynical? Were you mad or were you made into the person Jesus called you to be? Less critical of others, more pliable, willing to change, more obedient. Which one? Because there's a choice there. The fourth time in Mark 16, 6 through 8. Now this time, Peter comes up, the name there, as apparently a direction the Lord gave an angel after the resurrection. So it reads this way. But he said to them, the angel said, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples, help me here, and Peter, that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and they fled from the tomb for they trembled and they were amazed and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. This is... um. The Gospel of Mark's been considered the of the four Gospels, the Gospel according to Peter. Mark was John Mark, apparently wrote this Gospel. John Mark was um, a protege of Peter or a spiritual son, however you want to put it. And so Peter made sure those two words were in his Gospel. It's not any of the other Gospels. Because after Peter's failure, how many of you think Peter probably doubted his own calling. How many of you think the other apostles questioned his calling? But when the angel gives the message, he says, go tell his disciples, and he particularly names Peter. Go tell the disciples Jesus is alive, and go tell Peter. 
That alerted the rest of the leaders that Jesus wasn't finished with Simon Barjona. That may have begun to dispel Simon's own questioning about his calling. What if Jesus thought to himself, I think he probably thought this way. He may have forgotten who he is, but I've never forgotten. He may have failed, even failed me, but I know who he is. Jesus prophesied to him, when you've returned, strengthen your brethren. Here's what I want to say. Jesus never gives up on you. He never gives up on you. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what you're capable of, for good or for bad. And he never gives up on you. But here's the question. Do we give up on him? After, gosh, five decades of being a believer, I've realized you have, listen, listen to me, please. You have to see it through. You have to see this life in God through. You have to see this relationship through. If you stop before he's through, you will have an inaccurate, perverted understanding of God, of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Don't give up on him. Maybe you've already given up on him. Well, that doesn't mean you have to stay given up on him. Why don't you come back? I was thinking, um, I'm probably not going to get to the fifth one. But I wrote down five conclusions this morning. The first one is, God knows who we are even when we don't, and he will reveal our true identity through relationship and revelation. The second thing is, you won't know who you are until you know who Jesus is. And the third one is, the process of discovery of our true identity won't always be fun or easy. You've got to see it through. And then the fourth one is Jesus never gives up on us. And he doesn't want us to give up on him. How many of you, I don't know if we can be honest. How many of you, let's put it this way. How many of you have considered giving up on him? Yeah, come on. Don't be ashamed of that. We're Truth sets free, right? Come on. Stick your hand up. You've considered it. Look, just, just stop a second. Look around the room. Come on. Just look around the room. I would presume from all the hands raised, it's a pretty normal temptation, isn't it? But let, let me say, listen, I have, I have, I have given up on him. How can I put this? I have gotten up one more time than I've gone down. I would love for my testimony to be this glowing report of how everything I ever touched turned to platinum. 
that in every situation, I realize the promise that we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. But if I'm going to be honest with you, that's not really the truth. I'm, I'm more of a charter member of through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. The problem is we don't like trusting him. It's even hard to define the word trust. Do you understand what I mean? You know, what is it to trust him? Oh, that's a great question. What is it to trust him? Let me just say this. Don't give up on him. He doesn't give up on you. I don't care what you've done. He doesn't give up on you. The fifth time, I'll just mention this. You can read it. It's in Acts chapter 10. It's when Peter has to change his mind about a very significant thing, which was whether or not Gentiles could be saved. And he went through this very interesting process that would take another half an hour to get through. But there was a time where if Peter did not change his mind about a closely held understanding, he would not have completely fulfilled his calling. Okay, you may ask me, well, what are you saying? And I'm telling you, I don't know. Because I don't know what you think. But I do know the human condition. Progress means we have to be able to humble ourselves and receive the things the Lord really shows us. How many of you can hear that? How many of us can really hear that? I'm not talking about new understandings of the gospel or doctrine. No, I'm just saying that there are going to be times in your life where you cannot afford to be stuck. You've got to be pliable. You've got to have a mind that's renewed. Okay. Last thing I want to say. I haven't said this all day, but it's very important. Don't give up on him. Turn to somebody and say, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Amen. Amen. I would like for Desiree to come back. Much to our delight. (laughs) And close with prayer. How many of you from this morning's message need to be prayed for? In other words, you've thought about your troubles and they've been overwhelming or you've thought about giving up or you know somebody who thought about giving up and you're going to stand in for them or let's stand up if that applies to any of you, please. It's okay. Thank you. Uh, God, we thank you for your steadfastness. Yeah. That um, you are confident in who you are. You look to nobody to validate you, to be who you are and do what you're going to do. And I thank you for your mercy and your compassion on us and your pursual of love. And God, I pray that you would renew our hearts in this understanding 
that we would have a revelation of truly who you are, that you are good, that you do not give up on us, mm-hmm. and that you desire for us to pursue you, to not give up on you, to have faith when life dictates otherwise. I thank you that you are sitting on the throne, that you have won and you are victorious and that our hope is in that. We thank you. We love you and we trust you. Yes. In Jesus name. Amen. 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 God bless you folks and go Panthers. been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.